Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students For You. My name is Peter Roman, and this is episode 26 of the quarantine edition of my show. Really quickly, just before I get into all of the sports segments I have planned for today, I know that today is November 10th. And tomorrow is, of course, November the 11th, which is Remembrance Day, which, of course, you know, very important holiday. So really quickly, in honor of Remembrance Day, because that is tomorrow, I would just like to take a really quick moment of silence here on my show. Thank you. So... Remembrance Day, of course, important. I was history major for a year and a half at Mount Royal before I switched to broadcasting, and so definitely, definitely important to remember the the people that were involved in all the conflicts and who continue to be involved in lots of conflicts. So, anyway, on to the sports segments. So I'm going to talk about European football this week, including a Der Klassiker matchup and a very, very important Manchester City versus Liverpool game in the Premier League. I'm also going to talk about the NBA's return to play, which got a whole bunch of news over the last couple of days. And then I'll get into what I think the Christmas Day game should be for the NBA's return. But I'm going to start today with NFL Week 9. So, I'm going to go through every single game. The ones that are less important get less time. The ones that are more important will get more time. So the first game is San Francisco and Green Bay. The Packers won the game 34-17 to to go to 6-2 on the season. Normally this game would have a lot more implications, but the 49ers basically went into the fight with one arm and one leg tied behind their back. They had so many injuries. They had a bunch of players out because of COVID. And unlike the Tennessee Titans, who got their games rescheduled, the, 49, the NFL basically screwed over the 49ers by making them play this Thursday game. And Green Bay won very easily. The 34-17 is misleading. Green Bay was leading by a lot more than that. But again, the Niners went in with barely a team. So not a lot to say there other than that. Broncos and Falcons. Atlanta held on to a lead this time to win 34-27. I don't think either one of these teams is going very far, but certainly good for Atlanta that they're finding a way to win here under their new head coach. And so maybe there's some level of optimism for next season with the players that they will keep. Seattle and Buffalo is the next game. So the Bills won this one 44-34. Big upset. Buffalo is now 7-2, their best start since 1993 year by the way that they did go to the Super Bowl so Seattle oh man Seattle's defense is just terrible and I mean Buffalo deserves a lot of credit Josh Allen and that Bills offense looked a lot more like the offense that showed up in the first few weeks of the season and not the one that showed up in October but I mean that was the Seahawks defense is their Achilles heel Russell Wilson scored 27 normal points in this game. The The last touchdown was kind of a garbage touchdown when the game was already over. But the Seahawks scored 27 points in regular time in this game. 
and it wasn't even close. They got basically beaten. They got basically blown out, essentially. And, yeah, that would be definitely concerning. Russell Wilson, still amazing, but Buffalo's defense made it a little bit troublesome for him, and their defense let the team down entirely. Next game is Ravens and Colts. This game was really boring because there wasn't a lot as far as offense was concerned. The Ravens found a way to win, though, 24-10. to It wasn't pretty, but they eventually broke down the Colts' defense enough times. Phillip Rivers with some costly turnovers for the Colts. And, you know, Indianapolis' defense, I got to give them a ton of credit. This defense is exceptionally good at pretty much everything. And it was a slugfest for the Ravens to even get 24 in this game. Baltimore's defense, though, happens to also be very good. And the Colts' offense, Phillip Rivers, is kind of their Achilles heel. If the Colts are serious about being a Super Bowl contender, they need a new quarterback next season. Next game, Texans and Jaguars. This game really doesn't have a lot of meaning. Houston won this game by two points. Jacksonville is looking like a team that's probably going to tank for a high draft pick. So that's my guess there. Houston, meanwhile, gets their second win of the season. Not a lot more to say than that. Carolina and Kansas City. This game was actually really exciting because Carolina very nearly pulled off the upset. They lost 33-31 to to the Chiefs. Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes, again, spectacular. It was a slow start, though, and Carolina got off to a pretty good lead, but they couldn't hold it in the end. But I think Carolina should be very proud of their performance. They've been really good. See, Carolina's actually been pretty good this year, and I think the building blocks are starting to come together for the Panthers. They're not there yet, but in a year or two, this could be a very dangerous team in the NFC. Kansas City, meanwhile, is still the best team in the league. Lions and Vikings, Minnesota won 34-20 because, well, the Lions had their whole COVID thing over this past week where Matt Stafford... And some of their other players couldn't practice, so it wasn't that surprising. Dalvin Cook, though, continues his his one-man quest to win me every single fantasy matchup. And I love that very much. But nonetheless, Minnesota, nice comfortable win over the Lions. They get the Bears on Monday Night Football. Speaking of the Bears, they lost 24-17 to to the Titans. It wasn't actually that close. Tennessee won by a lot more. But the Bears made it close late in the game. I mean, Tennessee wasn't pretty at all, just like they were earlier in the season. But they found a way to win because the Bears' offense is so pathetic. It got nothing as far as, like, any kind of meaningful yardage. And Matt Nagy, I mean, I know Nagy did pretty well in his first year with the Bears. But since then, it almost looks like... He's scared to call anything, like, remotely fun on offense. And he's supposed to be an offensive head coach. And his offense is the absolute unquestionable weakness of this Bears team. And the Bears defense actually played really well against the Titans. A.J. Brown had a couple of breakthroughs in the game where Tennessee got some yardage, but outside of a couple catches, it was really just a punting game in this one. But Chicago is 5-4. and four. 
They get Minnesota on Monday Night Football. They get the Packers the week after that on Sunday Night Football. If the Bears are going to make the playoffs, the next two weeks will decide. The next two weeks are basically going to determine the Bears' season. And I know that might be a little bit premature, but if they lose to Minnesota and to Green Bay, it's tough to see this. It's it's really tough to see any way the Bears can make the playoffs. All right, Giants and the football team. Giants won 23-20. Kyle Allen suffered a really bad injury, but I guess it wasn't as bad as initially feared, so that's good, and I wish him a speedy recovery. And now there's a lot of question marks as to who's going to start for the football team at quarterback. Not quite sure there. Giants get their second win of the season, both of them over the football team. And technically, both of them are still in contention for the NFC East because the NFC East is terrible. Raiders and the Chargers is the next game. So the Chargers... See, there's kind of a formula. Every single week, the LA Chargers decide to impress their fans and decide to play really well for stretches. And then, when they give the maximum amount of optimism possible... They make sure to just inflict the most amount of pain on their fan base as humanly possible. And I know that's that's a lot to say, but I feel I feel really bad for Chargers fans. Like they just find ways to lose every single week. Justin Herbert is still really good, but yeah, Chargers had a drop pass in the end zone that was broken up with no time left on the clock this week. The Raiders, meanwhile, moved to 5-3 and three and are very much in the fight for a playoff spot in the AFC. Speaking of teams fighting for playoff spots, the Dolphins and the Cardinals. This game was fun. 34-31. Kyler Murray was spectacular. Tua Tungavailoa actually played pretty well. He got a chance to show his stuff a little bit that he didn't get to do against the Rams last week, and Miami prevailed 34-31. to Zane Gonzalez missed a field goal late that would have tied it for the Cardinals. This game, I think the clear difference was Arizona's defense is not very good, and Miami's defense didn't play that well but made enough plays. And I think that is the main difference between this Dolphins and Cardinals teams, both of them very much in the fight for playoff spots. And so... Should be exciting. Kyler Murray obviously looks like he could be one of many quarterbacks to potentially be part of this future generation to take over the league. Tua Tungavailoa, still a little too early for that, just his second start, but certainly much better performance from him than it was a week ago. The next game, Steelers and Cowboys. So this game was 24-19 for Pittsburgh because the Steelers decided to basically play a horrendous game and they just barely won because Dallas got a holding call in the end zone that or sorry Dallas there was a missed holding call against the Steelers on Dallas in the end zone I should clarify that but Pittsburgh really didn't deserve to win this game Dallas actually played better than they did but Pittsburgh won and they're 8-0 I don't know I'm not I know they're undefeated, but it's hard to have faith in the Steelers after a game like that. It really is. Because Dallas was playing Garrett Gilbert, who is an AAF quarterback. By the way, for those of you who don't know what that is, 
The AAF was the Alliance of American Football. It was a spring football league that lasted one season before it folded. Um, not even one season, I should clarify. Actually, it lasted six games, and then it folded. Garrett Gilbert was the quarterback for the Orlando Apollos in the AAF, and he almost led Dallas to the win in this one. And Dallas' CFL defense actually played really well against the Steelers, who couldn't muster up hardly any offense despite that receiving core. All right, next game, the Sunday Nighter. This was hyped up a lot. Saints, Bucks, NFC South battle. And, well, all the hype was very quick. All the hype quickly evaporated because Tampa Bay's defense decided to play zone and Drew Brees just picked it apart the whole game. Todd Bowles got completely outcoached by Sean Payton. The Tampa Bay defense got rolled over by the Saints offense. And the Buccaneers offense, in response, decided to be somehow worse than the Buccaneers defense in this game. Tom Brady threw three interceptions. His, the first time, by the way, he's thrown three interceptions in a game since 2011. And the Buccaneers offense basically didn't get a first down until like late in the half. And so 38 to 3 was the final score. It's the worst loss in Tom Brady's career. The first time a divisional opponent has swept a team of Tom Brady's. So what's the lesson here, I guess, is the question. Because I think it's fair to say that the Buccaneers probably aren't as bad as what they showed on Sunday night. But there is a lot of reason for concern with this team, and they better figure it out because New Orleans, for the second time this season, has beaten them quite easily. For the Saints, meanwhile, is this sustainable? Because they were really good defensively, and they were really efficient offensively. But is this sustainable? The answer? I don't think it is. And that might be... That might be a little bit harsh to say, especially with a team led by Drew Brees, but for anyone who watched that first touchdown pass he threw, or even a lot of the other passes that Brees threw in this game, he has to put everything behind a throw that goes 20 yards, and they flutter up there in the air. Like he's, Drew Brees has such a hard time throwing beyond like 10 yards right now, and I don't know if that's sustainable come playoff time. We'll see, but impressive win for the Saints, terrible loss for Tampa Bay, but is it sustainable for New Orleans? Not sure. Is it concerning for Tampa Bay? Yes and no. The only, the bit of bright spot you can take for, from a Buccaneers fan is that Tom Brady has been blown out before in his career, and the last couple times he got blown out, which was Monday Night Football in 2014, and the shutout that Buffalo got in 2003. Both years, the Patriots went on to win Super Bowls. Now, that's not to say Tampa Bay is going to do that, but, you know, Brady's not a stranger to that type of situation. All right, and finally, the Monday night game was Patriots and Jets, and this game had me biting my nails and sweating bullets because the Jets almost won. They came so close to winning, but they found a way to beat the Jets and blow it in the end because they gave up a huge completion <laughs> late in the game. Joe Flacco threw an interception. And so the Jets are 0-9 and still on pace for that 0-16 season. 
So that's it for the NFL stuff. On to the NBA stuff. So the NBA agreed their return to play this week with the with a new CBA agreed and a December 22nd return date. Free agency will start two days after the draft. The draft takes place November 18th, so that's next week. And I'm excited, to be honest. I'm quite excited. I'm a little concerned because the NBA is pretty much doing or going to do what the NFL has been doing. So there's obviously travel concerns, COVID concerns, and a lot of that type of stuff. So we'll be interesting to see what happens there. But a collective bargaining agreement got... um, Like, they agreed to a new version of it during COVID, which is great, because that means there won't be a work stoppage. It means the players in the league can continue to play basketball. And December 22nd might feel a little early because it's just like, well, the NBA season just ended. And that's true. But what they're trying to do is save the following season. And so they're going to do a December 22nd return, a 72-game season, And then the idea is to get the calendar back on track because they'll finish the finals sometime in June. But anyway, the other concerns I have, Toronto Raptors, because the Canadian and American border is still closed. And I don't expect that to change anytime soon, just looking at the COVID-19 cases coming out of the United States. So where do the Raptors play? Because the Blue Jays were not granted permission for travel. So there's been talks about Kansas City. There's been talks about Louisville and a couple other places in the U.S. that could be temporary homes for the Raptors. Which would obviously suck for the team and would suck for the fan base if that was the case for this upcoming season. Because, you know, you want to play in your home city potentially in front of some fans, even if not an entire arena full of fans. But it's tough because, again, that border closure makes it difficult for Toronto. So that will be something to keep an eye on for sure over the next few weeks. And then the final thing that I'm a little bit concerned about is just the schedule accommodation. So obviously, you know, for teams like the Knicks, the Cavs, the Warriors, the Uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, like these teams that weren't in the bubble haven't played since March. So, you know, coming back December 22nd is certainly not a concern for those teams. And even for the teams who got knocked out early, right? You're talking about the Magic and the Mavericks and a lot of those teams who got knocked out in the first round. Not really a concern for them either because they've had a pretty long offseason. But for the final four, for the Celtics, for the Nuggets, for the Lakers, and for the Heat those teams went pretty far into the bubble and they're going to have a very, very quick turnaround here. So I kind of hope there's some kind of accommodation to those four teams as far as the schedule is concerned. So that way, hopefully they don't have to start right away. Maybe you can have the Celtics and the Nuggets because they were the conference final teams. Maybe have them start, you know, January 1st or January 2nd potentially, and then have the Lakers and the Heat start potentially January 5th, January 8th, somewhere around there. Just so that way, there's a little bit more leeway, more of a runway for these teams to get up to speed and to have a little bit more of a, quote, traditional offseason. Because obviously, playing in the bubble as late as they did 
meant that it's such a quick turnaround to the new season. There could be concerns about injuries and a bunch of other stuff. So I'm hoping there's some kind of accommodation made to those four teams. But of course, with the NBA returning December 22nd, that means they are going to have their classic Christmas Day slate. The NBA has owned Christmas Day for a long time now. It's one of it's basically the marquee event of the NBA regular season, and we are going to get Christmas Day games this year as well, which should be very exciting. And again, a lot of this will depend on how they work the schedule around, but I wanted to play I just wanted to have a little bit of fun with Christmas Day predictions. So I came up with five matchups because they usually have five games on Christmas. These are the five games that I think would be fantastic Christmas Day games, but it's not including the final four. So the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Lakers, and the Heat, I don't have any of those four in these matchups because I'm assuming there will be some kind of leeway for those teams to not be involved so so early in the season and so then that way christmas day can be more of a that way christmas day can be more of a showcase for the other teams in the league for some of the other players in the league they want to showcase so the primetime matchup i think has to be nets warriors and this would be fun for a whole host of reasons but golden state i think is the favorite in the west and brooklyn has kevin durant now so that would be the kevin durant return game i think it would have to be Nets Warriors in primetime, for sure. And then the other four games, I have the Mavericks and the Rockets. Could be a great game. James Harden, Russell Westbrook, Luka Doncic, and the, you know, Texas rivalry there between the Rockets and the Mavericks should be good. I have the Clippers and the 76ers. Now, I want to explain myself here. So the reason I have this is this is the Doc Rivers return game. Because Doc Rivers was the coach of the Clippers, got fired. He is now the coach of the 76ers and you have Joel Embiid, you have Ben Simmons, you have Kawhi Leonard, Paul George. There is pretty good star power and a lot of fun storylines in this matchup. The next one, Raptors and Bucks. I think Toronto being the two seed of the East last season, Milwaukee being the one seed of the East last season. You have Giannis Antetokounmpo. You of course have you know, Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. So I think Raptors and Bucks would be a great Christmas Day match in this. And then finally, going to the Western Conference, I'm picking the Utah Jazz and the New Orleans Pelicans. That way you get Zion Williamson and you get Donovan Mitchell in there for a Christmas Day game. Should be good as well. So if those are the five Christmas Day games, that would be great. Obviously, you know, odds are they'll probably include some of these final four teams. But if they don't, Nets, Warriors, Mavericks, Rockets, Clippers, Sixers, Raptors, Bucks, Pelicans, Jazz would be pretty good matchups in my opinion. All right, and on to the final segment, European football time. So I'll start with their classicer in Germany between Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Bayern won this game 3-2 was the final score. Marco Royce scored the opening goal on a nice little play, nice little buildup from Dortmund. And he slotted home the the first goal of the game. David Alaba was able to answer off a beautifully worked set piece. Basically, just a set piece instructional by Bayern Munich. And Alaba was able to curl in a shot. It was very beautifully worked on the practice squad, for sure. At, or on the practice field. And then transferred 
the game field, it worked flawlessly for them. Robert Lewandowski scored a header to put Bayern up 2-1. And then Leroy Sané pretty much sealed the deal, made it 3-1 in the 80th minute, cutting on his left foot, firing it into the corner. And Erling Haaland scored in the 83rd minute to give Dortmund a little bit of life, but in the end, not enough. Haaland was very critical of himself after the game, and you know he certainly had more than enough chances to make a bigger impact in this one. But I think the biggest unfortunate news coming out of this game was Joshua Kimmich, who is now out for three months with a meniscus tear. So not good news for Bayern Munich. Kimmich is undeniably one of the most important players on their squad. All right, from Germany to England, we had Manchester City versus Liverpool this week, which was really fun in the first half and kind of so-so in the second half. Mo Salah stepped up and scored a penalty in the 13th minute early in the game. And then Gabriel Jesus answered for Manchester City before Kevin De Bruyne missed his penalty. He just fired it wide left and it finished 1-1 the final score, which I think is probably a fair result based on the run of based on the play of both of these teams. But Liverpool, damn, they're running out of players. They like it's pretty obvious the Liverpool injuries have hurt this team a lot. And Manchester City, I don't know. They're struggling to find their form right now. And that Kevin De Bruyne penalty miss was very, very shocking to me. But nonetheless, important match in the Premier League, though, because that meant the table, Leicester City, is on top of the league. And they haven't done that since 2016. So that would be kind of cool if they did that again. Not as historic, obviously, but and this Leicester team is far different from the one that won in 2016. But still. Kind of neat that they're on top this late into the season. I guess it's still early in the season, but, you know, in November, usually the table has kind of separated a little bit, but it hasn't this season. And the final thing I will talk about very quickly and very briefly is Arsenal, as they lost 3 nothing to Aston Villa, because apparently no one decided to mark Ollie Watkins, and yeah, Pretty much. No one decided to mark Ollie Watkins. He scored twice. Villa won very easily. Arsenal have a long way to go. And that's my show for today. I want to thank everybody for listening in to my show as always. And be happy, be healthy, and stay safe, everybody.